0: As concerns grow about the rise of antibiotic-resistant drugs, the ability to combat them is undermined by the economics of antibiotic drug development. Many large pharmaceutical companies stepped away from the space, and despite the passage of the GAIN Act in 2012 and government investment in antibiotic research and development, drug companies argue more action is needed. We spoke to Michael Dunn, Chief Scientific Officer at Interim Therapeutics, about the state of the antibiotic arsenal today, the challenges drug developers face, and whether Congress will be willing to provide the industry incentives to address societal needs at a time when there's growing animosity towards the industry over issues such as pricing. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dan. We're going to talk about the Antimicrobial Innovation Alliance, the state of our antibiotic arsenal, and a recent letter the alliance sent to lawmakers calling for passage of new incentives to reinvigorate the antibiotic development pipeline. Let's start with the Antimicrobial Innovation Alliance. Who, who is it?
1: Uh- the Antimicrobial Innovation Alliance is a collection of larger pharmaceutical companies that um, are very interested in, in developments within the infectious disease space, many of whom were previously uh, developing antibiotics and now um, are just watching on the sidelines. The organization that, that I'm closer to is the Antimicrobial Working Group, which is a different alliance with similar objectives to the AIA. We're, we're about a dozen or so, a little over a dozen companies. There are smaller biotech companies that are now doing a lot of the work in order to bring new antibiotics out to the heart.
0: And what's the mission of, of that organization?
1: Well, this is, this is a group of interested um, biotech companies that are trying to work with Congress in order to help them understand <clears throat> What the needs are of companies like ours in order to be able to provide just new antibiotics to patients that need them. That's on a discovery level, so the very earliest stages of investigation, as well as on the development side and on the commercialization side. There are things that are going on now that make it difficult for companies to be able to be productive and continue to focus their investments in infectious diseases. And we think, um, the members of the House and the Senate should be aware of what the issues are from our perspective because I think at the end of the day, we all want the same thing, which is antibiotics to be able to treat these resistant infections. And I think there's things that Congress can do now to kind of help us um, stay on track.
0: There are two related trends we often hear about that are concerning about the state of antibiotics. This is the rise of resistant and particularly the rise of resistant superbugs What's the medical need today?
1: Well, I I think that there's a growing need every day to make sure we have antibiotics to treat some of these more resistant bacterial pathogens. Um, We used to be in a circumstance where we had a selection of antibiotics that worked very well against a broad selection of organisms. Over time, however, because we haven't been able to introduce new antibiotics to keep up with resistance rates, we're now starting to get challenged by um, organisms which have developed these resistant mechanisms to the antibiotics that we've always used. So we need to be able to replace those. In the hospitals now, we're seeing many patients um, get treated uh, for for infections with antibiotics that really don't work. And it's a challenge for the doctor to know what to start patients on. Because remember, the patients show up sick in the emergency room and they get started an antibiotic, but we don't actually know what organism we're trying to treat. So you have to start with something, but when there's a lot of resistance in the community, you can get your first choice of antibiotic wrong. And these new antibiotics are targeting resistant pathogens as well as the old sensitive pathogens so that you get that first choice of antibiotic right right from the beginning.
0: And how significant would you say the economic or societal consequences of this is?
1: Oh, yeah, it's it's big and getting bigger. So about 23,000 patients Died because of uh, a resistant antibiotic, resistant infection, just last year alone. And um, some of those numbers may even be on the conservative side. So we have a growing problem that a lot of people are are being impacted by, uh, and we really need to find a solution for that. It's really not acceptable in this day and age to have people um, in jeopardy because of resistance to antibiotics when we do have the capabilities of society to make these new antibiotics. Um, we just need to make sure we have all the appropriate incentives in place to be able to allow private sector to get out there and make these new drugs.
0: This is a, a global phenomenon. Are, are there areas of the world where this is a bigger concern?
1: Oh, this is a great point. Yes, we, we live in a global world, right? So resistance travels all around the world, and these organisms move from one country to the next. Sometimes the resistance develops in areas far away from the U.S and for one reason or another made it into our ecosystem, and are now something we have to deal with. There are pockets of infections in various places, in India, for example, with a lot of resistance to what we call um, in-gram negative organisms to many of the antibiotics that we have now. Those are very scary because they um, they can kill you pretty fast. And resistance there has now trafficked into the U.S. and into Europe, uh, there are other hot spots for specific organisms, but I think the point that you just brought up, which is really good, is that it's not just resistance in our own backyard, it's the resistance that's outside of our country that will come here at some point to be something we have to be ready to tackle.
0: So when I asked you about resistance, I, I talked about that as being one of two major trends. The other trend is the move away from the development of new antibiotics that has occurred from many of the world's largest pharmaceutical companies over the past decade or so. In terms of innovation, how big a problem is this, and why is it happening?
1: Well, it, that's a really good question, too, and um, it's something that's been growing over the last couple of decades. It's um, Well, let me see if I can start here. First, I think it is challenging to come up with new antibiotics to treat these resistant organisms. It's not like we can just... You know, pluck them out of the ground or something. We really have to work really hard to find new approaches to treat these resistant pathogens. And large um, pharmaceutical companies have been working really hard to do that, but haven't been quite as productive as they had hoped. So many of the large discovery programs that were out there trying to bring new antibiotics out had a challenge with productivity. That in and of itself is something we see. There's similar issues happening in other therapeutic areas, but it's just one of the, the, a number of factors which are making uh, pharmaceutical companies pause about just jumping in to find new drugs. Beyond that then, there's all the cost of development and the uncertainty in the development process itself where companies will spend hundreds of millions of dollars taking drugs into clinical trials before they get any return for all that, um, that, that cost. Uh, beyond that then, we have some commercial hurdles which have appeared, you know, again, I think for good reason, uh, policies that made sense to tackle certain specific problems we're trying to address, but unfortunately, there were some unintended consequences of those policies, and I'm specifically focusing on some of the reimbursement mechanisms which are in place for antibiotics are used in the hospital. So Medicare and a lot of the private insurance companies, they try to help streamline um, the cost of patient care by building efficiencies into the system and they provide hospitals a certain amount of um, um, reimbursement for a type of patient. So if you have a pneumonia, you get a certain amount of money, maybe $12,000 or $15,000 for that admission. All the care for that patient then comes under that, what's called a disease-related grouping um, reimbursement. And the challenge for the hospital then is being able to, to feel that they can use newer antibiotics, Typically, costs more because of all the development expense, which is getting the drug out to market, um, rather than using generic drugs. So we find that that um, there's a challenge in being able to see uptake of new antibiotics in the marketplace because of some of these um, disincentives to using drugs which cost more than generics. That you understand the policy overall because it's trying to maintain costs in the healthcare sector, and it, it makes sense at a high level, but. Uh, the, the unintended consequence of that is that it restricts the ability for new antibiotics to actually get used in the hospital. That's paired with another concern that that um, the doctors have again a valid concern that if we overuse antibiotics, if we don't use them in the right for the right patient at the right time, we have the potential to develop um, resistance to those antibiotics among the bacteria that are getting treated. So we want to use the right drug at the right time. This has been translated, however, into using the new drugs infrequently, and while that makes sense, that's kind of a double whammy against being able to actually bring your drug to market and have a commercially successful um, product, because there's reasons to restrict use to make sure that we don't overuse the antibiotic and develop resistance, as well as they're expensive, so the DRG mechanism prevents reimbursement as well. So those two things have not worked to be able to show to larger pharmaceutical companies, and for example, and, and I shouldn't say just large pharmaceutical companies, any investor in this area, and able to show a return for all the investment relative to what they could get if they invested in other therapeutic areas that do need good drugs, cancer, neurodegenerative disease, pain, inflammation, all these places need new antibiotics, new drugs. And um, the incentives to develop drugs for those particular areas are easier to understand and more reliable than what's been happening in infectious diseases. So all those factors together start to lay out a case for not investing in infectious diseases if you're, if you're an investor looking for a return on investment
0: today. Let me ask you about one more. I, I take it companies are concerned about their ability to recoup their investment in R&D because of the pace at which resistance to new drugs develops. Is that a problem, and and how quickly do new antibiotics start to see resistant strains develop against them?
1: That's another great question. I think that depends specifically on the antibiotic and the bug that it's targeting, and there are different rates of resistance that, that happen depending on that matchup of the drug and the bug. I'd say um, to, to get a feel for that, drugs that are used broadly, um, for example, the quinolone antibiotics, which were used very broadly for outpatient infections, after about 10 or 12 years of use, you started seeing 3 or 4% of the organisms with resistance to, the, to that class, and from there, it just took off, So now you're seeing 25% of organisms resistant after another, say, 10 years on the market, so 20 years after they're introduced the resistance rates are really to the point where you can't feel confident using that class of antibiotic um, empirically. So using it without actually knowing what the organism is, to know what the susceptibility of that that organism actually is to that antibiotic.
0: We've seen a a number of small biotechs step into the fray. What does the pipeline look like today, and are we seeing these companies fill the gap?
1: The companies are working diligently to bring new antibiotics forward with all the resources that they have available, but there simply aren't enough shots on goal, say, right now, to be able to fill what we believe are going to be the needs of the future. Um, there, there are n- new antibiotics which are moving through the pipeline, but there's really just not enough of them. There's probably a dozen or so that are in, in people right now, but given the, the, the attrition rate we see in this area, No more than two or three of those will probably get out and be actual antibiotics in the marketplace and for reasons related to safety or efficacy or other things. So we need more antibiotics in the pipeline in order to ensure that we have something coming out at the other end, which will meet society's needs to deal with resistant infections.
0: In 2012, Congress passed the GAIN Act. This was intended to provide a set of incentives that would encourage companies to pursue the discovery and development of new antibiotics, what did it provide?
1: That was a major step forward for Congress, and they they really get a lot of credit for stepping up to help this sector get to a better place. And I, I think so. the Gain Act specifically did two things that were important. The first is that it extended a period of regulatory exclusivity for older antibiotics that weren't covered under PET. So if you had something on the shelf that didn't quite make it out um, and you, under the GAIN Act, you'd be able to put it out of the market in the 10 years of regulatory exclusivity, which basically gives you the equivalent, basically, of a patent, at least in the U.S. The second thing it did was accelerate the review time. So instead of spending a year, year and a half under review at the FDA, these particular drugs, um, these particular antibiotics were able to be reviewed in eight months. And that has really been great in order to stimulate interest in getting back into infectious disease development. Unfortunately, one one intervention like that is probably not enough to manage all the various hurdles that we, we see now as someone developing a drug in a biotech company. We probably need a, a kind of bundle of incentives in order to help us uh, and help the investors who are investing in us feel comfortable that at some point we'll bring good drugs to patients, meet patient care needs, but also have a good return on investment.
0: There have also been a, a number of efforts that have provided government funding for antibiotic discovery and development. How extensive have these efforts been, and has it made a meaningful difference?
1: Yes, there. Congress has supported further investments in the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases in order to further anti-infective research and just better understanding of infections overall. And that's been great. We really need that kind of basic research to understand the area. They've also supported funding through um, a mechanism called BARDA, which has provided quite a bit of actual um, uh, support for, for numerous different companies at fairly substantial amounts. Uh, so that's been a great investment uh, that's helped people get through that those earlier stages of development when the costs in clinical trials, for example, are, are quite expensive. And there's a smaller organization called Carvex, which is also providing money at a smaller scale for kind of discovery level efforts. Also very valuable to help stimulate interest in the area. So those have been great things that have um, been supported by the government. I, I think the things that the the industry overall, and that's a consortium of interested parties, the AIA, as you mentioned a minute ago, the AWG, which I'm part of, which is a consortium of biotech companies, but also Infectious Disease Society of America, many specific large pharmaceutical companies like Pfizer and GSK, the Pew Charitable Trust. We all got together in this letter that you mentioned earlier and tried to lay out the case for why we think Congress could really help stimulate interest here by providing some bundle of incentives to help us get over the goal lines. And those would be kind of post-FDA approval, what we call pull incentives. So rewards that would go to companies that successfully developed an antibiotic and got FDA approval that would lead to stabilizing the antibiotic market that we see now um, and and, um, allowing some predictability for the investment in the area. So that at the end of the day, all of us that put our resources into these efforts would know that there's a way to have a sustainable mechanism for developing new antibiotics on the road. And that that mix of things could be various R&D tax credits or other tax incentives, um, ways in which reimbursement can be adjusted. And there's been some movement in Congress about just that. So fixing the GRG issue so that anti-infectives are not necessarily penalized, as has been done for other classes of drugs like medicines that are used in the hospital the blood thinning agents which have been used in the hospital. Um, And there's other ideas which are kicking around like low interest loans. Um, Those kind of conversations, I think, will be fruitful at the end of the day. And I think just being part of this discussion with my group, you can see that the members of both um, the House and the Senate now understand this issue, that it is really important for us as a country to be able to develop antibiotics because we lose antibiotics we lose a lot of support for various threats that we that we have to face every day. I think the message has never been clearer. The uptake from the members has been great. I think they do understand exactly what the issue is and now we just have to roll up our sleeves and find a way to put some legislation together that meets everybody's needs and get these incentives out there for companies to stay developing new drugs for any-
0: mm-hmm. uh-huh this is coming at a time that there doesn't seem to be a lot of love for the industry in Congress. Do the ongoing controversies over pricing at one end of the industry threaten establishing the types of incentives you're seeking, regardless if there's a societal need that justifies them?
1: That's a great point, too. I mean, all the conversations that are are happening around this topic are very robust, and they bring in perspectives, as you described, as well as the perspectives about, well, we just need to have something to stimulate more anti-infective development. So there's a whole series of conversations that touch on all these different issues. I think at the end of the day, the incentives will make sense. They will help patients get new drugs. That's going to be good for society at the end of the day. And the type of incentives that's provided will be measured so that there's not an overly burdensome effect. On the government overall, but it will achieve the goal at the end of the day, which is to get patients antibiotics for resistant infection.
0: Michael Dunn, Chief Scientific Officer of Interim Therapeutics. Michael, thanks so much for your time today.
1: Anytime, Danny.
0: Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week,